Immature, Ashley Welder. Here we are, Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio. And there was much rejoicing. Want to thank you for listening. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp. Our normal, normal co-host of the evening, Dr. Esteban Marconi, is out with an illness, and he will not be able to join us. Producer engineer, Ashley Weltner. Mm -hmm. Are you not saddened by that? I mean, it breaks my heart, but... He, he emailed me earlier and told me. So yeah. Hearts break, but hearts repair themselves, don't they, Ashley? Have you ever had your heart broken? <sighs> she didn't want to talk about it on the radio. I'll tell you, <laughs> I've had my heart broken, Ashley. Have you? I got better. All right. It always gets better, Ashley. There's a rainbow over every mountain. <laughs> There's always a pot of gold at the end. You know who we have with us tonight, Ashley? At the moment, we have Taylor Turner, who is our student co-host of the night. Taylor Turner, everybody. Hello. Hello, Taylor. Wow, she is a very well-spoken person. Taylor is a member of the Pop Music Program here at William Patterson University. How long have you been going to the Pop Music Program at William Patterson University? This is my second year. And why did you choose popular music studies? Uh, because I'm a musician, but I mainly want to work in the industry. And, uh, yeah, I thought this was a really good program here at William Patterson. Okay. And you want to work in the industry. What are the things about the industry that interest you? What would you like to do? I want to work in publishing and licensing. I really want to facilitate uh, artists getting money and other people having access to music. Okay, great. So what kind of jobs are you thinking of? publisher or like work in the licensing department of a record label all right of a record label would you look uh, a licensing department of a um a publisher would that interest you as well yes and also uh movie studios as well okay there we go so that opens it up quite a bit one thing we talk about a lot in our program which is a music and entertainment industries program here at William Pass the University. We're listening to Music Bits 101 more on Brave New Radio. Is the plethora of jobs out there. Most of us think strictly about music uh, record labels. Um, then, secondly, they'll think about maybe publishing, but I don't really know what that is. Then maybe Apple, what is that? You know, so Or maybe the live industry, but they're not exactly sure what the live industry is. So come to this school and we will tell you all about all those different things and open your eyes and open your world. Have we opened your world, Taylor? Yes, you have. That's, uh, you're a wonderful person. We're happy to have you. Thank you. So we started the show a few minutes early tonight. We have a guest coming on. Her name is Erin Jacobson. She is the music industry lawyer. And she will be joining us uh, because we started the show early. I had told us to contact us five minutes after the hour. And I just reached out to her and said, contact us now. So 
hopefully she is checking her email. And in fact, Ashley, yes. can you talk about the show? And both of you, we, we're in a class together called the Modern Entertainment Company. Um, I want to send her a, another message. So could you guys talk about the show we have coming up on November 16th? November 16th? Well, we are currently booking a show at Drum. It's a club in New York City. And the acts are, have yet to be decided. But Taylor, what have we been planning for it? Uh, so far, we know that different ensembles from our William Patterson music department will be performing in this show. And right now, we're just trying to figure out the logistics of how we're going to get there and um, ticket prices and everything related to setting up a show from the ground up. Yeah, it was really cool meeting with the uh, talent buyer from the the club. Sorry, I words? <laughs> <laughs> it was really cool meeting with him on Monday during class, wasn't it? Yes, because he told us all about um, the different aspects of the club and what made it different from the other clubs in the area and how their placement in the, the East Village really um, added to their, uh, added to their, how, what makes them special. That's great. Yes. And um, so this uh, show in this class is what we're doing is we're actually putting the show together from getting all the acts together to uh, figuring out how to market it and doing a lot of the minutia that is involved in putting together a show. And we realized today, uh, as we all were brainstorming, there's a whole lot more to putting on a show than just uh, going into the basement and, um, you know, singing for mom and dad. So that's what we got going on. Uh, as we uh, get going, we want to thank uh, Rob Fusari, Don't Let Love Down. That was the song that we had going at the top of the hour. Thank you, Rob Fusari. We also want to, uh, let's see, tell you, sign up for our newsletter. Go to musicbiz101wp.com. Follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter, the face of the book, at musicbiz101wp. Of course, this will be a podcast that you can follow on iTunes and the Sound of the Cloud. We want to thank the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management. With artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, and Kiss, there's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you are ready. And we also want to remind you, Managing Your Band 6th Edition is available. And if you would like to read something that could interest you and help extend your life, read this book. Because it has uh, been scientifically proven to let people live longer. Uh, we used it on a number of people who were about 100 years old, and they lived to be 106. And this is the sixth edition. That is, that is science. That's STEM. That's the stuff that's going on in our schools right now. So support education. Support managing your band, sixth edition. I'm told by the grapevine that Aaron Jacobson, the music industry lawyer, is on. Is this true? I'm here. Aaron, you, you don't know how giddy I feel on the inside right now. It's great to have you. <laughs> This is, Thank uh, you. Thank you for having me on the show. No, it's great to have you on. Uh, I am your professor. I'm your friend, Dave Philp, as you know. Yes. And um, our co-host, Dr. Stephen Marconi, uh, could not be here tonight. He is under the weather. So um, he sends his regrets. And, you know, if we were together in a room, I'd give you a hug for him. I wouldn't want you to take it the wrong way, but it would be just a generally kind hug. Okay. Thank you. Well, I'll take the telephonic, generally kind hug. That, that, that's exactly what this is. So you're a good person. We are, already know that. Um, so we have a lot of stuff to go through because uh, as I had emailed over to you, we have everything from uh, questions that we have here in the studio to a lot of tweets. I should let you know you spoke with Ashley Weltner. She's our student engineer 
who picked up the phone and spoke with you and got you hooked up. So thank you, Ashley. She did a great job. She did a tremendous job. And then also we have with us Taylor Turner, who is another student co-host who will be reading tweets to you later on in the show. Hey, hi, Taylor. Hi. And by the way, both students have the opportunity at any point to tell me to not talk and ask her questions on your own. So this is... Okay. And um, and by the way, Aaron, you have at any point, you can say, please stop talking and just go. So... uh, That would, at some points, that might be the best thing. So, so we have you on. I want to also spell your name correctly. It's Jake Cobson, J A C O B S O N. So there's no no S E N Jacob, like Jacob and son, son of Jacob. Uh, And you are a biblical woman, as we know. Just thought that went up. I don't know if I've been described that way before, but okay. It, it, it's it's good. I think that's going to change music from bi- music industry lawyer on your LinkedIn to biblical woman, and watch okay. the watch the calls come in. I'll see. You're going to need you'll need oven mitts for that cell phone. It'll be ringing so hot. Right. Okay. 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 So, so it's totally true. It's this is all true. We would never steer you the wrong way, especially because you're a lawyer and you'd take us for all we have. Right. So, so why don't we start there? Because you do brand yourself as the music industry lawyer. Explain yeah. how that happened and why you do that. Because from every lawyer I know, they brand themselves as whatever their name is. So kind of get into that. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, thank you. Um, basically, it just is a, you know, it says what I do right off the bat. Um, you know, by just saying... I'm a lawyer, then it ends up as this long, co- oh, well, what kind of law? What do you do? <laughs> and this is, it's just very straightforward, um, which, you know, I thought made things easier and it's catchy. And um, I think because, so my, my law firm is my own practice. And um, so not only am I an attorney, but I am a business owner and entrepreneur. And i think that that works well with a lot of the artists that I represent because um, they, you know, artists that are independent, I mean, all artists really, but especially in that independent stage in the beginning, they are also needing to brand themselves. And, um, and so I sort of do the same thing that they do and end up talking about these things with them sometimes. Um, So sometimes our conversations go beyond just the straight legal um, because when you're an artist you're also a business and um, I am a, I am an attorney but I also run a business so now some of the things you do in a couple classes we were talking behind your back and and oh. <laughs> and and looking at what you do on social media specifically okay. on on YouTube like you okay. you have for example a two minute and 18 second video um, self-produced in which you describe all the things that you do again that's something that seems a little different from the competition so can you explain sort of what your purpose was in doing that and how yeah. effective it's been sure again I thought it would just be a good way to give people an introduction right into in the beginning as to what I do because even though somebody says I'm a music lawyer um, that can mean different things. So even though my branding is, you know, it's it's more straightforward than just general attorney, within that there are different focuses of my practice than other attorneys. And so I wanted to just highlight the different kinds of clients that I work with and the different types of matters that I handle and also give people 
little bit of a look as to like a day in the life of what I do. You know, there's me on the phone negotiating some deal or I'm reviewing <laughs> some agreement or, um, you know, or whatever it is. And, and I have the great fortune of being in Los Angeles and my office is in Beverly Hills. And um, so, you know, we have the palm trees in there and things like that because why not? We're, I, you know, I'm fortunate to see that on a daily basis and, and I love that. So again, it's just it's just more of a way to allow people to get to know me, even if they haven't met me in person yet. And it's funny because uh, you mentioned the palm trees, and I bring that up as you did because one student in one of my classes actually brought up the palm trees in your video, and uh, so that was I think smart product placement for the Thank state you. of California. Thank you. So they just they liked the uh, <laughs> they liked the the palm trees. So isn't that a great shot? Because we had this, um, and uh, yeah. So I have uh, this great um, girl that works with me named Monty, and so she got some great shots and edited things together and whatnot. So, are you the only person in your practice, or do you I have? Am. It is. It's it's all me. Okay. <laughs> So how many clients uh, can you take on at one time? I never count them mm -hmm. because um, their needs are always different. So some clients need things all the time continuously. Other clients need one small thing now and something six months from now and something three months from then. And, um, and then other clients maybe have like a huge project and then it'll die down for a little bit and... Um, and then they need something else later. So it just, it really just all depends. Um, and so I take on whoever I think would be a good client and who I want to work with. Which implies, and tell me if I'm wrong, that sometimes you would, you turn people away, correct? Yeah, correct. Why would you not want to work with a certain client or clients? Well, some clients, well, first of all, I don't shop. So... For people that contact me for shopping, I don't take those clients on. What do you mean when you say shop? What do you mean? So shopping is uh, basically like pitching their music for a record deal okay. or some kind of deal. Um, and Or it can also be submitting their music. So I get a lot of people contacting me. Well, I contacted so-and-so label, and they said that I needed an attorney to submit my music. And so I don't do any of that. Um so those clients I will turn away. Um, I also don't do litigation. Litigation is the type of law where you're in court and suing people. Um, I don't do that. So if, if someone is in a dispute requiring litigation or, or even if they start with me and then it gets to the point of litigation, then they get referred to a litigator um, because I do the drafting, review, and negotiation of contracts and... Um, and not the litigation aspect. Um, sometimes, you know, also they need to have enough going on to be able to work with me. So they have to have like a contract that they need drafted or reviewed or they need advice or um, something like that. They can't just, uh, well, I mean, they, they try, but for someone to contact me and just say, oh, like I need an attorney to, you know, like represent me and help me and, um, you know, again, I don't shop. I'm not going to be out there um, 
you know, making your career for you. I'm the person that when you've put in the requisite effort and you have deal offers, then I will make sure that you're protected in those matters and review those deals for you and negotiate them. Um, but so there's kind of, you know, and there's sometimes for independent musician, there, there's a, a financial aspect to it too. I mean, some of them can't afford me. So, um, so, you know, clients like that, um, you know, I won't take. And, you know, sometimes personality-wise, too, sometimes you just don't get along with people. Um, and so it's, it, you know, people say, people ask me all the time about how to find the right attorney for you. And sometimes I say it's almost like dating because you have to find the person that's the right fit, the person that uh, explains things to you in the way that you understand them, the person that has the uh, type of style that you want, the person that... Uh, you know, works with the type of music that you create, things like that. So, um, so it's got to be the right fit. And, um, you know, we can talk about this later as well, but for those independent artists that were not really at the level, like needed help, but were not at the level to be able to hire me, whether it be financially or otherwise, I started a second website called Indie Artist Resource, which is an e-commerce website that offers contract templates to independent musicians that you know need something but they're again not at that level to really hire me yet um so that's no that's great that's great that answers all your uh, can, can we go back to the dating thing yeah. Um, the analogy, as opposed right. to, I'm not asking you out. It, it's, right. I'm, I'm, uh, my, my wife would be mad at me, as would my yeah, children. <laughs> and, and I would need to hire another type of lawyer to deal exactly. with the situation that I'm getting myself in right now. Exactly. But um, I, I, I often bring that up to, especially students, when they're talking about getting together with a manager, that it's not an overnight exactly. situation you need to, right. and I, I use the exact same analogy, you don't want to get into bed on the first date, you want to right. take your time. So with, with an attorney, it's it's the same way, huh? Well, it's, you're not going to be able to spend an, you know, an extended amount of time really with an attorney before deciding whether to hire them or not. You will probably get a short phone call or maybe a short meeting and then you're going to have to make your decision um, because, you know, for the most part, attorneys bill by the hour and, you know, we can't advise people without being hired because attorneys have certain rules that they have to follow and whatnot. Um, so, you know, most of us are, um, you know, open in to, to have an initial phone call or an initial meeting so the potential client can meet us and and see if they like us, um, but then, you know, it's not going to be like an extended period. Well, let's try working together for six months and see if it works out. <laughs> like, I mean, but when you hire an attorney, you are, you know, you can, it's, it's not like a contract that you're locked into for a certain period of time. Either party can end it at any time. So if you hire an attorney and you decide that person's really not the right fit for you, um, you know, you can seek new representation, but, um, you know, hopefully you pick the one that, that's a good fit. And um, at, at what point do you think most DIY, DIY artists need representation? When, well, 
definitely if they're presented with any type of contract. Um, but I do think that they need at least some sort of representation prior to that if they're working with other people. So if they're writing with other people, recording with other people, um, things like that, because there are agreements that actually come into play in these situations as well. And even though they're, you know, maybe seeming more simple, they, um, there are rights involved for parties. And without agreements, people have different ideas of what these working relationships are supposed to be. And then later, it becomes a problem because people have different uh, different uh, views on, on what the arrangement is. So, plus, a lot of um, artists just starting out don't understand about what where they need to register for royalty collections and things like that. So, I think even if even if you can't put somebody on retainer, it's worth it to at least invest in um, <laughs> you know a consultation or two to just make sure that you're on the right path and that you're doing what you need to be doing correctly because it's much better to have it done correctly in the beginning than not do it right in the beginning and then I'm sorry I have to close this window I have open are the police um, after you did you break some no laws? they're Is not it? after me are <laughs> they're you... after someone though clearly the corrupt music industry attorney is that what no. we've got okay <laughs> Although there are some. <laughs> no, not, not in the music business. Stop not the it. Erin. Never. <laughs> um, but, but as I was saying, it's better to set things up correctly in the beginning than not set them up correctly and then have a problem later and then have to go back and fix it because it's going to be much more complicated and cost more money and you might even lose money. Um, for things that haven't been collected. So, and I do have to say one thing as we get into these questions that that maybe hinge on a little bit more of, uh, you know, what to do is that I, I do have to say that because I'm an attorney and I'm on this radio show that nothing I say is legal advice and doesn't create an attorney-client relationship between me and anyone that is listening to the show or that anyone that might call in or that I answer a question for. And uh, if you do have questions, you should seek the counsel of an attorney. And that if I say anything that's considered an advertisement, it's general in nature so and not directed towards any particular person. So once again, these are rules that we have to follow as an attorney. So there's my disclaimer for everyone. <laughs> there we go. Oh, thank you very much. It was great to have you. Goodbye. Yeah, thanks. Okay, yeah, bye. Is, but based upon uh, stuff you were talking about, um, we're going to have Taylor read a tweet to you, and I'll kind of give you some background. Okay. And you can give um, your feedback on this particular band's real-world band situation. Okay. Okay, so Zach Smith asks, how should a band go about copywriting material, material that a former member of the band helped write but is unreachable? Meaning the band member is no longer in the band and... Um, every they can find him, but every time they try to get in touch with him, he goes off the handle. He's possibly bipolar. I, I'm, I'm not a psychiatrist, but he's right. literally something like bipolar, and they cannot have a conversation with him without him freaking out. So they want to. They wrote these songs. They want to put out a record. Um, they want to register them with the copyright office, and they want to give him credit, but they're. 
they're guessing how much credit um, is fair to give to him in, in a legal sense, and here's where you can just give an opinion but not your full legal advice, uh, but they're wondering how, how they can deal with this situation when they, when they can't even talk with the guy. Yeah, that's a problem, honestly. Um, I mean, they can still, when you register for copyright, you're not actually putting shares. Um, so the shares come into play more with, um, like, registering with your performance rights organization and dividing up money and that kind of stuff. Um, so in that sense, if they can't talk to this person, they're going to have problems um, from a practical standpoint and a financial standpoint and if, you know, and p potentially a legal standpoint if this person then wants to block releases or, you know, sue the band for not giving him the proper credit or something like that. Um, so it does create a problem. But as far as actual registration with the Copyright Office, they do not ask for percentages. So they can just list everybody that is an author. All right. So in the short term, give him credit and then kind of take it from there, see what happens. Well, yeah, I mean, ideally you would want to have some sort of agreement in place with him, but that <laughs> becomes quite difficult. Um, it might might become an issue where if the band can hire an attorney and this guy can hire an attorney, then the attorneys can figure it out and they don't have to deal with this particular person. Okay. Um, speaking of which, the next discussion would be intra-band agreements. At, at what point, in your opinion, should a band create an agreement amongst themselves, whether it pertains to songwriting or uh, revenue from actual recordings or live music? What's your thoughts there? Right in the beginning. Mm -hmm. How, like, <laughs> like, literally, okay, we came up with a band name, let's do well, something. Well, I mean, if they're, I mean, look, if they've played like three shows and, you know, that's the end of it, I mean, it's probably nothing's going to come of that. But if... It, when they're in the beginning stages of a band and they're really serious about, you know, being in a band together and writing songs and recording and all these types of things that bands do, um, the beginning is the best time to do that because it's, you know, kind of going back to our dating analogy, like at this point they're kind of getting married. Um, and it's much better to, to talk about these things when they're all happy and in love than when they're getting a divorce later because then they all hate each other and nobody wants to talk to each other and nobody can agree on anything. Um, and it's also a really good indicator because if they're still in the honeymoon stage of this band and they're all excited about it, but they can't talk to each other and agree on these issues, um, then there's a problem because those issues are not going to go away unless they get figured out. Um, so... So it's always better to do it up front so everybody's on the same page. It's easier to to talk about it. Um, if a band is not splitting songs, um, whereas like all songs will be shared this way by the band, and when I say songs, I'm talking about compositions, um, and it's like maybe certain people are writing certain songs and certain people are not, then maybe they want to or like each song has different writers or different percentages, then maybe they want to consider having a separate uh, agreement for each song that they write so that the percentages are clear. Okay, so up front the band should decide, are we 
splitting the composition, meaning the underlying written song, not the recording, but the composition, Correct. are we are we just going to split it all evenly down the line, or are we going to go song by song? So that would be, I guess, the first place to start. Yeah, that's one place. Then it's about how recordings will be ownership and income from recordings will be shared, um, you know, income from touring, merchandise, all those kinds of things. And another big thing that comes into uh, band, uh, you know, band dynamics, I guess, is uh, use of the band name. Who owns the band name? Who owns the trademark? Um, who can use it? What if the band breaks up? Can, can some people use it? Can no one use it? Can everybody use it? Um, so these, and, and there's actually like a lot of litigation that happens with band trademark names because there's always somebody going well you don't have the right to use that name anymore and they're going yes i do and then it becomes a lawsuit <laughs> um so yeah there's band agreements can be complicated um because they are actually um like from a business entity standpoint they are partnership agreements or if the band has elected to form a different um entity like an LLC or a corporation, um, you know, then business and contract law come more into play with those in addition to the issues that are specific to bands and the music industry. Okay. Uh, we're going to have Taylor read another tweet over to you. We're going to kind of go back and forth with different questions so we can get um, you know, all of it in. Mm-hmm. Chris Herrera asks, what is a clear red flag once you try to spot when given a contract? Well, that's a vague question um, because every contract is different. So my answer to that would be different based on what kind of contract it was. Um, so, you know, there are certain things we look for, like how the length of the contract and the payments and the rights involved. Um, but really red flags are going to vary from type of contract to type of contract. Let me, let me give you uh, another real world example that, that happened um, very recently, actually over the summer with a, a student who recently graduated. He was offered a contract, um, a vocalist contract mm -hmm. in which he was one of the songwriters, but it was a, a Dutch based dance label. Um, offered him a cr contract strictly as the vocalist on this one single. It was it was a one-off contract. And um, he sent the contract over to me, and I read it, and I said, my first response was, you really need to talk to a lawyer about yeah. this. I can give you whatever opinion I have, but I'm not a lawyer, and you really should talk to one. It was very one-sided in terms of the label. It was, um, you know, it was talking about record clubs and things that really aren't, really in existence much anymore um and he said he was he signed the deal and was going to do it anyway because he thought it was a good opportunity and it was just one song um what are your opinions about things like that well first of all a lot of deals do still do have that outdated language about record clubs and breakage and things like that which it had all that in there yeah ridiculous yeah <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry, a digital download doesn't usually break. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if it does, it doesn't, you know, it's not costing the label anything because they, you know, because they already ordered physical product that then broke and couldn't be sold. Um, so, but a lot of deals actually still do have that language. So one reason, I mean, many reasons to have an attorney, but, you know, 
an attorney will know to take that out and whatnot as well. Um, but the the like it's just one song. Mm-hmm. Um, depends on the song. You know, it could be one song that goes nowhere and it's not a big deal. Some people are one hit wonders, and that is a one song. So if you have your one hit and you've signed a really bad deal on your one big hit, then you've got a problem. And I, I mean, I understand in this case he was just a hired vocalist, so it might not be as the implications might not be as large as you know as if he were the writer of the song or you know the main artist or something like that. But you know sometimes a person's career is made on one song and if you've made a bad decision in the beginning that could affect you negatively later and that kind of connects to a lot of tweets we got and because that was again a, a deal between an artist and a label and a number of tweets we got from students today basically are tweeting about labels and our labels why are labels out to hurt us or screw us and things like that do you think labels get a bad rap or do you think that's still uh is that sort of 20th century thinking or do you think nah it's still kind of the case they're they're looking out for the best deal for themselves well it it does depend on the label Mm -hmm. i think there are a lot more independent labels now that really want to try and have more of a partnership type relationship with artists but there are a lot of labels that still are out for themselves and um you know, and they're in business. You know, they're in business to make money. And and when you're looking at also companies that have a lot of investment money, um, sometimes it's not necessarily because they don't love the music, but they have investors that they have to answer to. Um, and so they have to do what's going to be most profitable for them. So it really just Kind of, you know, as so many things, it just, it depends. It depends who you're working with and what their situation is and what kind of people they are a lot of times. I mean, like we mentioned earlier, you know, not everybody in the music business is warm and fuzzy. So there are a lot of really good people. And then there are other people that do business in a very unfair manner to others. So be careful who you work with. That that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Taylor, is going to read another tweet kind of based upon what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Chadwick, Chadwick asks, how often do you come across artists who encounter 360 deals? What advice do you give them? Okay, well, 360 deals um, are sort of the norm, um, especially if you are signing with a major label or some sort of subsidiary or independent label that's affiliated with a major Usually, um, true independents don't always have 360 deals, and it also depends what level you're at as an artist. Um, so sometimes it might be not a full 360 deal. Maybe it's a 180 deal or a 270 deal <laughs> or, uh, or something like that where it's not encompassing all the rights. But uh, they do happen fairly often. And the advice depends on the deal itself because it it depends on whether this is the right company for the artist to do business with, if, you know, what the terms, I mean, some 360 deals and the percentages they take are better than others. So, again, it it sort of depends on what what rights they're taking, whether they're actually 
um, the ones that are handling these these other areas of the artist's career, or are they just passing them off to somebody else, and it's like a third-party deal, but they're still sharing in the income and not doing anything to earn it? Uh, what percentage are they taking? What royalties are they giving to the artist? Um, again, it just the advice does depend on on the artist, the artist's career, what the deal is, and you kind of put all the pieces together to decide whether it's a good decision or not. Okay, uh, here is another question for you. Jimmy asks, have there been any important changes or additions to music slash entertainment law in the last few years, like new deals or agreements? Well, that's a broad question. Um, I mean, 360 deals are not that recent, but they've become, you know, more recent and more of the norm. Um, music library deals have become a lot more popular in the last several years, and, and these are deals with, like, companies that basically their main job is to just pitch for synchronization placements in TV and film, um, and then they have kind of, some of these companies have then kind of morphed these straight pitching deals into pitching slash hybrid publishing deals. Um, so those have come, um, become more popular. Um, you know, we, we have cases all the time. So to, you know, to just list them all off the top of my head um, would not be efficient. Um, but... You know, we have cases in the news all the time of, um, you know, copyright infringements. A, a big one right now, which is, um, I think, next week they're having the appeal arguments, is the Blurred Lines case, which, you know, we can see whether that sets any type of precedent or becomes followed for infringement issues. Um, there's fair use issues. There was the case recently where Happy Birthday was declared to be in the public domain. Um, then a similar suit was brought regarding the song We Shall Overcome, and the first verse was uh, deemed as to be public domain, but um, that's not finalized yet. Um, there's a lot more com complicated issues with copyright terminations and things um, that I think would be too much to get into, um, but there's been some litigation happening regarding that. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, things have been all over the place. Did you bring up one thing that we were seeing uh, a little bit uh, at the end of last year with uh, some different indie artists and their labels were perpetual license deals mm -hmm. where it was sort of a 50-50 split but forever? Yeah. Ba basically, can you, are you seeing some of those and can you explain what that is? Uh, explain what that is and what... The per, the per, like uh, uh, an indie label would offer me a deal uh -huh. um, where after expenses we split uh -huh. all the revenues 50-50 and while I own my masters they are basically licensing the, them from right. me forever yeah yeah that happens mm -hmm. um, you know I mean I think the way you explained it was, was fine I think that's very straightforward um, yeah I mean the 50-50 split after recruitment is um, something that we're seeing more, which is, you know, in some ways better for the artists because they get 50% and they get to own the masters and they're just licensing them to the label. Um, but 
Yeah, most companies will take things um, in perpetuity if they can. So um, it's uh, that's something for your lawyer to negotiate. <laughs> Excellent. Um, let me go back to uh, another student uh-huh. last year um, was approached by the producers of the TV show Boy Band. Okay. And he sent the contract over to me. Uh-huh. Um, and again, I just read it. I did not offer him any legal advice. Right. But I, I, just, I read it and I found it very interesting because when you talk about a one-sided agreement, yeah. um, those agreements appear right. to be extremely... Right. Um, what, what have you seen of those and what, is, what are your opinions of, of, those, uh, of the contracts from those basically singing yeah, those, shows? Those kinds of deals are very one-sided and pretty much like find your life away type of deals. Um, And because the people that they're signing are usually unknown, don't have a following of their own, that sort of thing, they don't really have a lot of leverage to negotiate the agreement. Um, So it's sort of limited in what can be changed. And, um, you know, sometimes with those cases, you just sort of have to hope for the best. But... um, you know, we do the best that we can at negotiating them, so. Okay. One, one tweet we got, and then uh, I want to have Ashley ask you a question. Okay. Um, just one tweet we got. It started with Mrs. Jacobson. And okay. I'm going to stop there because the rest of the question was kind of irrelevant. But, okay. Uh, but I, I bring up the Mrs. Jacobson part because you're a woman in an industry that historically has been a male-dominated industry. And you are an attorney in an industry where people expect their attorneys to be um, hard driving, um, take no prisoners, you're on my side. And the overall, I guess, idea probably still in society is maybe I want a guy for that. I don't know if I want a woman for that. Do you still find that? And do you still find sexism to be rampant in the industry? And what do you do to develop a thick skin and, and succeed as a woman? I think that's a great question. Thank you for asking. Um, okay, there were so many parts to that. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, the music industry has been an old boys club for a very long time. Um, and it still is, but there are a lot more people that are fighting for, um, you know, more diversity not only in opportunities for women, but opportunities for minorities as well. And, um, you know, it being a woman in the industry, it is definitely something that you deal with on a regular basis, um, whether it's people, you know, hitting on you or people not listening to your opinion because, you know, they only listen to the opinion of the other men of their age and generation that they've come up with in the business. Um, Or, you know, it's, you know, sometimes they order you around or, um, you know, things like that. But I, um, you know, I view it, I've always gone through life viewing things as a meritocracy um, or, you know, at least hoping. I mean, my my mom raised me that I could achieve anything I wanted to in life. And so I, I approach it that way, and I know that I have just as much right to be at the table as anybody else. And 
if there are people that don't want to listen to me because I'm a woman, then that's their problem, but I'm still going to speak up. Um, so I think for the women that want that are listening that want to be in the industry, um, I think it's important to know that you bring knowledge and expertise to the table. And just because you're a woman doesn't mean that that you don't have just as much to offer as anybody else there. And actually, there's been a lot of times in in my practice where, you know, there there's been men that either think they know what they're doing and then I have to correct them because it turns out that they don't or, you know, even men that have been practicing for a very long time um, and then I have to correct them on things. Um, so I know that that my knowledge and my expertise um, is worthwhile and, you know, I just, I put myself out there like, like anybody else would. Um, so does that answer? I don't know if that answered all the aspects of the question that you asked. How about the thick, the thick skin part? Because yeah. just overall, you have to learn how to, how to really take it, you know, especially as, as an attorney. So right. what are some skills that you learn to turn off your sensitivity and be professional and just plow ahead? Right. I think it depends on the situation. I know I've said that a lot, but it really does depend on the situation. Um, you know, in some cases, you just ignore it and you just go, you know, in your mind, you just go, oh, whatever. And mm -hmm. <laughs> you just kind of ignore it because it's not worth making a big deal of and you just roll your eyes and um, move on with the situation. And then in other cases, you know, uh, you know, you have to speak up and you have to say, don't talk to me like that or, um, you know, or what, you know, whatever, whatever the proper response um, is warranted by the situation but I mean I've even had that happen where um, female interns of mine have come to me like after they've finished their internship with me and then they've gone to to do an internship at some other company that's mostly male or whatnot and then they'll call me and go okay this happened at my internship and I didn't know how to handle it and what do I do and um, and that sort of thing and you just you have to Again, you have to know your worth, and you have to assess the situation, and, um, you know, and some things are, you know, too trivial to make a big deal out of, and other things you say something about, or, you know, you don't engage with that person, or whatever, whatever's appropriate. So you just got to not take it that personally, because it's, most of the time, it's really not about you know, a personal judgment on you, you know? Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, and some people don't even really know they're doing it. They don't even know they're being offensive sometimes. So, um, so like I said, you just kind of have to assess the situation. Okay. One, one final question about this. I'm just thinking about because in our program, I would probably say some or most of our strongest students here at William Patterson in terms of our music and entertainment industries program are females. Mm -hmm. And while nobody has ever come to me and talked to me and said this has happened to them, I'm assuming at some point I'm going to get this question because somebody will say they were, especially on an internship, they were sexually harassed. Mm -hmm. um, especially in that case, and let's say it's not a major label, but it's it's more of an indie label or a smaller startup and an in, a female intern is sexually harassed 
Obviously, the intern has no power, no leverage in that situation. What would you suggest that person do? Right. Well, if there's an HR department, if it's a larger company or, or even a smaller company that has an HR, then I would report it. Um, you know, if there's not an HR company, I would, you know, speak up to the person and say that this, that's not acceptable. Um, you can't treat me like that. And if, um, you know, if it's, you know, you said it's, it's an internship. So, I mean, leave. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, if it doesn't get better, like it's an internship, leave, like talk to your counselor at school, tell them what's going on. And, you know, hopefully that they'll be, um, you know, understanding and make arrangements for your course credits and that kind of stuff. But um, but no, that's that's never something that that you need to put up with. So. Good. I've never asked anybody that question. I never thought about that question. And I'm glad we got to bring that up yeah. because um, it's an excellent answer because. I'm certain at some point that will happen. It's as a, as a college professor, you get these, you go through these ebbs and flows when when dealing with students, and sometimes you get just out of the blue all these strange situations. They all happen at once, and then you'll go a period of time where everything is kind of normal. So mm -hmm. that's going to happen someday, unfortunately. Um, Ashley Weltner, who is our engineer extraordinaire, uh, has a question for you about streaming. Okay. I do all right. Um does the success of streaming change the way you make record contracts? Is there any new information that you need to add because of this? Um, sometimes, uh, not really, but sometimes, you know, you can share in some other income streams beyond just the royalties, or maybe there's a different split, but um, it's not like drastic changes at this point. I mean, sometimes you can be a little creative, but... Um, it also depends on the leverage you have, as I was talking about before. I think we should get into streaming because you did recently uh, publish an article on Forbes.com about all the stuff going on with Spotify and mechanicals. And uh, in one of my classes, we've had lengthy discussions about it, but I'm sure a lot of people still don't understand what is going on and the implications of what's going on. And if you could kind of give us a background and where we're headed with this situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, for, so there's two kinds of streaming. There's interactive streaming and non-interactive streaming. Non-interactive is services like Pandora where it's pretty much like a radio. Like you can't, even though Pandora, you can kind of say like, I want to hear songs like this artist or something. Um, it's not interactive because you can't go pick the exact songs that you want. So non-interactive non services are on one, um, you know, uh, set of royalty rates and whatnot. Then there's interactive services, which are services like Spotify, where you can call, what they say, like call up or, you know, listen to a particular song that you want to listen to on demand. And they have different streaming rates. They're calculated differently. You know, for a service like Spotify, they need licenses from the record labels for the sound recordings. They need licenses from the performance rights organizations like ASCAP and BMI for the performances because a stream is a performance. And then they need mechanical licenses from the music publishers 
for the reproduction because in a inter non-interactive like the Pandoras, that, those are just considered to be a performance because it's really, it's like regular radio almost, um, you know, even like internet radio. It's just radio, you know, it's just a performance and you're listening to it. Um, but on Spotify, not only is it a performance when you're listening to it, but it's also a reproduction because of the way that the technology works and um, and in some cases there is a actual reproduction of the file and the data and that type of thing. So services like Spotify are supposed to pay mechanicals. Um, Spotify has not been paying mechanicals to a lot of the rights owners to the compositions that are streamed on its service. Now they have gone through the Harry Fox agency to try to pay um, the mechanicals, but not every composition rights owner or music publisher uses Harry Fox to um, issue and collect, uh, issue mechanical licenses and collect the mechanical royalties. So in those cases, um, Spotify needs to then go to the rights owner itself um, and send a notice and say, you know, we're, um, you know, streaming your, your music and, you know, these compositions. And so, you know, we need the mechanical license. We need to, you know, know who to pay, that, that type of thing. And they didn't do that. They didn't go to all the individual owners. So that's a problem. Um, so the NMPA, which is the National Music Publishers Association, they, um, settled. They did a big settlement with Spotify for millions of dollars, um, and their members can take part in that settlement. And then there was a class action lawsuit subsequent to that um, by some songwriters, and uh, they are um, they negotiated a settlement, but it hasn't been court approved yet um, because courts have to approve settlement agreements. Um, and then, actually, a lot of songwriters came out and said, um, you know, kind of are, like, urging the court not to approve that settlement from that class action um, because when you break down the cost, Spotify would only have to pay, um, I don't remember the exact number because I don't have my article in front of me, but it's like $3.82 or something like that um, per song as like the penalty for not paying the mechanical royalty. Whereas the maximum per um, infringement uh, amount of statutory damages is $150,000. So out of a possible of $150,000 per infringement, um, you know, Spotify is only supposed to pay $3 and change from this particular settlement. So, and the songwriters that have come out in opposition of this settlement agreement are, you know, they're big ones. It's Tom Petty, it's members of Rage Against the Machine and Weezer and the Black Keys. So um, it's definitely some, some voices with some clout coming out from that. Then um, there's another, there's two other lawsuits. Um, one by Bob Guadio, who is uh, songwriter, music publisher, and he's most famous for writing a lot of the hits for Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. And if you've seen the movie or the play Jersey Boys, um, you've seen his character. 
And um, so he and then this other music administrator called Blue Water Services Corporation um, sued Spotify again for non-payment of mechanicals. So that's ongoing. And then the there's another lawsuit with seven other music publishers that have joined together, again, paying for uh, suing for failure to pay mechanicals. And um, throughout all of this, at first, Spotify was like, oh, sorry, you know, we tried, but it's so hard to find everybody. Um, so that was like the first excuse. And they actually have been a part of rate-setting proceedings and whatnot where they talk about how much they should have to pay for mechanicals, and they've mentioned that they need to pay mechanicals. And then with this most recent lawsuit, these, these couple most recent lawsuits that are happening right now, Spotify came back with, well, you have to prove that it's actually a reproduction and we're supposed to pay mechanicals. So in effect, they're basically saying that they don't have to pay mechanicals which is really one excuse after the other. And it's such a bold statement. That's not only wrong, because it's been accepted in the music industry that mechanicals are owed on interactive streams. Um, and there are, you know, there have been court proceedings to set these rates and everything. Um, so it's wrong, and it's wrong in a factual sense, but it's also wrong in a moral sense, because Spotify's entire business is built on music with no if spotify couldn't use music there would be no spotify that's i mean that's what their whole service is based off of and it's appalling that they would base an entire business which i think today came an article came out saying that they're now worth 16 billion dollars um but yet they won't pay for that content that is the you know the foundation of their business um but it's a scary thing for the music industry because if they were ever to win in a lawsuit on that issue um it could set a really bad precedent um and with 16 billion dollars behind them um you know they can kind of afford to keep asserting that argument but hopefully you know hopefully some resolution will be will be found but you know, like I said, those of us in the industry, especially somebody like me that that is so passionate about the rights of songwriters and publishers, um, it's just completely appalling, frankly. And I wish we could get a little bit deeper. I mean, you, you gave a great explanation. We have about two minutes left. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's a complicated I, issue. I, I, I know, um, but people should go to Billboard. People should read your article in Forbes uh, and, and read more about that. Uh, explain in about 30 seconds the Indie Artist Resource. Explain what that is so that yes. can help people. Indie Artist Resource is an e-commerce website that offers contract templates most needed by independent musicians that are not quite ready to hire an attorney. Um, so you go on the website, it's at IndieArtistResource.com, and you can look at the different agreements that are offered. Um, you can buy them individually or in a package. There's also video and audio presentations for education, um, and you pick whatever you want, put them in your cart, use PayPal, download them, and they all come with instructions, and, um, and then you can protect yourself that way. Okay, great. And they the prices are all over the place 
and I don't mean yeah, that in a negative way. It depends on what it is. Yeah, like a simple band checklist is for 40 bucks. Right. And that's, that would be a great place to start anyway. Yeah. So uh, with 10 seconds left, could you let everybody know how they can get in touch with you? Yes. My website is themusicindustrylawyer.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at emjmusiclawyer. Great. And if you're following us at MusicBiz101WP, we've been sending tweets and retweeting some of her stuff today. So uh, if you ever forget that, make sure you listen to our podcast because you'll be able to hear a lot of stuff. This is a very meaty radio show. So, Aaron, we should thank you. So may we thank you now? Would this be a good time to thank you? Yes, you can thank me now. We would <laughs> like welcome. to, uh, we are going to, don't say, no, we haven't thanked you yet. Okay. Oh, I'm we, sorry. At I this point, we... As a lawyer, you should know when the official thank you begins, and it had not begun, so lawsuits are on the way. But at this point, we officially thank you, Aaron Jacobson. Official thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be, to be on and, you know, happy to answer any questions on any future shows and, and whatnot. So thank you for having me. That's great. And you will be on the list when we tell students you need to talk to a lawyer. We're going to have them talk to Aaron. So, awesome. so they should. So thank you one more time for calling in uh, to Music Biz 1 more. One more time. Thank you, Aaron Jacobson. Have a great night, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you, And then we should thank Assie Weltner for being the engineer. I already said engineer extraordinaire. To say it again would be silly. So just a really good engineer. So thank you, Ashley, for being an engineer tonight. That was really good. Don't clap for yourself. How about a little bit more self-respect over there, Ashley? You're awesome. You're incredible. Show the self-confidence off. Let's hear you clap. There we go. I taught. I inspired. We should thank Double T, Taylor Turner, for being here tonight. T-Square, here we go. Thank you, who is, again, not clapping for herself. Listen, I thank me. I'm clapping for myself. I'm thanking myself. So, Taylor, let's hear one clap out of you. Got to go. So you've been listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio. We want to thank Dr. Esteban Marconi for listening. We love you so much. You have been missed dreadfully a lot. So that well, I and so um, at the end of every show we do not say hello because that would be silly. Because at the end of the show, so at the end of every show, you know what we say? Taylor, turn to double T. What? No, we say. I can't remember when you looked at me and cried. Said something. Inside of you My best friend Whatever come away You know I'm yours until we